Welcome back to another episode of An Uproarious Profundity. It is unconventional wisdom for you, my fellow spiritually attuned go-getter. And today we are with an amazing spiritually attuned go-getter. Her name is Liz Hurlbert. Welcome, Liz. Thank you. So happy to be here. So happy to be here with you. You and I have been partnering on your book for six weeks now, and I feel like I've known you forever because we went on an intense retreat slash training together called The Uprising last month where we got really close to each other. Super intense and yeah, super close, which I am so grateful for. Yes. And I know that our listener will be able to hear some more about that later on. But first, they must know that you've spent the last 18 years as an operational expert in the pharmaceutical industry, and you've recently started coaching others to their own excellence. From the time that you were seven, you felt drawn to make everything around you better. Through sharing stories and having intensely real, yes, intensely real conversations, you work hard to help people fall in love with their own lives. And you're currently working on your first book. It's going to be coming out next summer. And I love how you talk about your book as this is going to help people love the parts of them that they've hidden, that they felt were unlovable, that they felt weren't working. It, did, am I sharing that correctly? Absolutely. I, I think that's, it's kind of, it's like the book of your own dirty little secret. It, it gets to be on center stage. That's, that's really the whole point is you, all of the things that you're afraid to say and share and even feel are really the biggest gifts you have. And so it's, how do you take that and all of these stories and possibly tragedies and dramas and comedies that are all your life and make them something that is a gift. That's so empowering. So empowering. And we will be sharing more about that book. But first, we must survive three ridiculous rounds of trivia. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay, the first word that comes to mind is the right answer. You have three seconds to answer. Or you shall be buzzed. <laughs> okay. The first category is true or false. True or false. Cereal is soup. True. True or false. Being a people pleaser is much more fun than it looks. False. True or false, Starbucks is the real breakfast of champions. 100% true. <laughs> 100%. I literally, I literally have a shirt that says, friends don't let friends drink Dunkin' Donuts. 100%. <laughs> That's so great. I love it. <laughs> and even funnier is that one of my very good friends has a similar shirt that says, Friends don't let friends drink Starbucks. <laughs> we need a picture of both of you with those shirts on. That is true. That is true. True or false? My Google Drive makes life more complicated. True. True or false? A great singing voice is not required as a dueling piano bar artist. <laughs> uh, very true. <laughs> As we know far too well. As, as, I was going to say, as we learned firsthand, you can 
sound like Cartman from South Park and you can still get it on. <laughs> oh my gosh. He did sound just like Cartman. I'm so glad he you really pointed, yeah, pointed it out, pinpointed it perfectly. And once you hear it, you can't unhear it. Right. Yes. True or false? My brain is in the same place when I'm writing as when I'm coaching. True. Oh, interesting. True or false? Sleep and red meat are overrated at spiritual retreats. <laughs> false. <laughs> they are necessary components for doing the hard work. <laughs> True or false, my intuitive gifts have increased the more that I have surrendered to them. 100%. True or false, Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar is a superb comedy. Absolutely. Like, it's up there. Borderline classic. I've watched it, I don't know, I think four times at this point. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm the awesome. same way. I can't, can't get enough. Cannot get enough. Love it. And the the Morgan the Morgan Freeman is the crab. Oh my god! I I mean, I and I found it really serendipitous when we saw the turtle when yeah. we were at Uprising. Yeah, yeah, the turtle. Yeah, yeah. Turtle. <laughs> turtle. True or false? Whitney Houston makes great cathartic dance music. A hundred percent. Absolutely. True she makes false. me want to dance with myself. Yes. Oh, same here. <laughs> Unintended. Yes. Yeah, exactly. True or false? I can tell a talented writer by the first five pages of a book. True. True or false? Some wounds can never be healed. Ooh. False. Oh, so close to the buzzard. That was a good one. That did call. That did. That one did call for lots of thinking. Yeah, it, did, it really did. Yeah. True or false? Reindeers are better than people. True. True. <laughs> True or false? Life is better now that smartphones exist. Ooh. Um. As an adult, yes. As the parent of teenagers, no. Mm, great differentiation. I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> True or false? People have to gain my trust. I don't trust them right off the bat. True. True or false? Last question. True or false? People, oh, pardon, people. No. <laughs> Can I read? True or false? Pizza is just as good served cold. True. Nice. Totally. Breakfast. Like cold pizza in a Starbucks. Sign me up. Yes. <laughs> totally. Congratulations. You survived the first round. <laughs> Woo -woo. Woo I'm an overachiever. I intend on surviving the other two. Yes. We now go into, and you're the first one to experience this. I found some more just because wacky questions online, and I will link these in the episode notes. And I'm excited for you to be the first one to experience these. So again, <laughs> a no analysis paralysis is the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. What is the sexiest and least sexy name you've ever heard? Ooh. 
Um, least sexy has to be something like Craig or um, Alan. They're terrible. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, ter terrible. Um, I think I, I'm biased and I'll probably say Noah because that's my husband's name, but I actually really do like it. Um, and Luca. I love the name. I find the name Luca sexy. Oh, yes. My brother just named his baby boy Luca. And I'm like, that is such yeah. a beautiful name. It really is. Yeah. I, I love Nico, Luca. Um, yeah. Oh, so good. So good. What is something invisible that you wish people could see when it happens? Falling in love. Oh, so beautiful. That's amazing. That's amazing. What is a secret conspiracy you'd like to start? Ooh. Uh, a secret conspiracy I'd like to start. That's a good one. Um, I, I think I would like like an underground group to eradicate kale. I think kale has taken over and it has infiltrated society and it needs to freaking go away. Yes, it is so true. It's everywhere. Freaking everywhere. It's not salad. Like it's not. So it's kale. It's so it needs to go away. It doesn't belong in drinks. Yeah. So that would, be, that would be my movement. What is the weirdest smell you've ever smelled? Oh, durian. The fruit durian. It's Whoa. literally like vomit and bad feet and feta cheese mixed together. It's oh horrendous. Oh my horrendous. gosh. Wow. Yeah. What, what is it good for? Does it have a health benefit or is it just disgusting? Uh, I mean, I think it's great if you had food poisoning and you need something to make you throw up. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sure it has other purposes. <laughs> I'm not sure what they are, but I take them. Out, I, I take it out of the edible category. Yes, and yeah. fine. And final, just because question: If animals could talk, which would be mm. the which would be the rudest? Oh, cats for sure. <laughs> I, I I say that I have six small dogs. And a couple of them are totally sassy, but my take is that cats really don't care. So I'm going to say cats. Oh, they'd be, they'd have such a narcissistic commentary on everything. They do. They do. I mean, we kind of joke sometimes about the personalities that our dogs have and who they would sound like if they had a voice and, um, and assign them, you know, characters from TV shows and things like that but they're not really assholes where I feel like cats can definitely meet that category. Oh yes, totally. So yeah. different than dogs. So yeah. different. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. We now forge ahead into complete this sentence. Okay. A show that I could binge watch over and over again is. The Golden Girls. Mm, yes. And I love how you go into that into your book. <laughs> The almost the sacrum the sacramental act of watching it with your grandmother. There, there is there, there. It was like being part of them. There is. There's a great comfort in it. It's like it, it's like the mac and cheese of TV. Yeah, a hundred percent. Oh, that's some good copy right there. Yes, <laughs> the mac and cheese of TV. Yes, one underrated band is. 
Oingo Boingo. Hmm. Are they? From the 80s. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are they yep. rock? Yeah, they're rock. They're kind of, so I, my uncle introduced me to them and um, God only knows if they're still around or even alive. Um, but I thought it was great music that nobody knew anything about and um, sort of in the veins of like Tom Petty and U2, it was sort of, they were an, they were an interesting mix, but um, I think Oingo Boingo did not get enough credit. Oh, that name deserves a lot of credit. Right? They're worth YouTubing for yeah. sure. One, one time period I want to live in is... Ooh, um, I think I'd go the 80s, and I was alive for all of the 80s, um, but I think I would have preferred to be an adult in the 80s. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think the, I think it the roles were so much clearer, and I kind of like the idea of big hair and breaking glass ceilings simultaneously. <laughs> Uh, yes, so good. <laughs> so, so good. One trend that I will never understand is. I mean, I could go back to kale. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yep. I, I'm going to go back, gonna go back to kale. I just don't get it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Same here. Even as disguised as a chip, I don't get it. No, that, I mean, that's just a lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of kale, uh, one heartache that surprisingly birthed much joy was. Ooh, um, one heartache that birthed much joy. Getting divorced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it actually had multiple facets. I mean, I kind of think of it, I, I think you could think of it in a really negative way. And I think it's so complex and has so many sides that when you clean it off, it's it's sort of like an emotional diamond. Oh, wow. Yeah, our society so easily, like our friend Priscilla beautifully posted on Facebook recently, our society... Yeah has a stigma around it that really needs to be removed because it can be a beautiful and right and perfect thing for the family. Well, it, it, it can. And it's funny. I, I actually brought her a happy divorce day cake um, when I saw her on Saturday oh because I saw her post and I thought, hell yes, because she's celebrating her and you know, I mean, I remember reading when she said, you know, if it weren't for a marriage contract, we'd be no more than roommates. And I think that happens to a lot of people. And I'm not sure why we celebrate that. I mean, I'm not saying just give up or don't work at it or any of those things, but I think there is some real beauty in being real. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Yeah. so. Yeah, totally. I'm so thankful that birthed beauty for you and joy and healing for you and for others. It's, and thankfully, conversations like this that we're having is removing the negative stigma from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One lesson that I feel I've been learning my whole life is that others are less blank than I once thought. 
confident. Mm. One less. I think I less confident. Yeah, I think that I sort of walked around, particularly as a teenage girl, and probably even into to my twenties, thinking that everybody had a lot more confidence than I did, and that's why they were able to pull themselves together a certain way or present themselves a certain way. And I think at the truth of it, we're all kind of scared. Mm. And what do you think most people are afraid of or most of us are afraid of? Being seen. I, I think being seen. Yeah. I think that the there is, I think it's why social media has become so addictive because we can broadcast a version of ourselves that is so filtered and what we want people to see. And I think so many people struggle with reconciling who they actually are with what they're putting out there. And I think it's hard enough sometimes to just put out there who you are. It's, it's a huge, it's a risk and it's scary and it requires you to be vulnerable and I think that that is terrifying for most of us. Mm -hmm. So terrifying. You're so right. One lesson that I feel I've been learning my whole life is that I am more blank than I once thought. Ooh. Um, Ooh. I'm going to use the same word. I'm actually more confident than I thought. Awesome. And what was the pivot the pivot point you think that helped you own your confidence? So, um I was I don't know, god, like 13 years old and my mother put me into a beauty pageant and which I think I wanted to be part of because I had like watched Miss America and Miss World and all of those things. Um, and she put me in this beauty pageant and I remember going and I was super embarrassed because all of these girls had these really fancy gowns and dresses and I had one dress and it was peach and I freaking hate peach. Um, and it came from a consignment <laughs> store. And honestly, it looked like, I mean, I, I still to this day remember it. And it was, it had this very um, lacy top to it. It was almost Victorian looking like these girls had these cute off the shoulder dresses and there were sequins and, um, and all of that. And I had what looked like, I don't know, some glorified little house on the prairie freaking dress. And I was so embarrassed. Um, and that combined with a spiral perm and braces, it was a scene. Um, <laughs> and, but, but I remember when you would go up and walk on stage and they asked everybody, you know, whatever, how do you want to change the world? Which is the most absurd thing I feel like to ask a seventh grader. Um, and, and these, <laughs> these girls who looked so pretty and they were so polished and, and like out of 17 magazine, and they all had like, oh, I, you know, I want to save puppies and, and solve world hunger and all of these things. And I remember I thought none of, I mean, they sounded like good answers, but that wasn't 
what got me out of bed in the morning. And so I remember when they asked me, I said, oh, well, I think I'd like to teach other people how to be a parent because I don't think a lot of people know how. And I think it's really important that kids are, that kids know they're loved. And I remember I got a lot of really weird looks. <laughs> and, wow. and, and, and given what I was coming from, the fact that I said it out loud, I think even for me was sort of a shock. Um, but I remember saying like, I, I want to do that. Like I want to learn how to do that. And I, yeah. And I don't think that at the time I felt like I was very confident in it. I just felt like I was being honest. But as the years have gone on, I think that honesty is a huge root of confidence and mm. you're a lot more likely to have integrity and be confident if you're speaking your truth. Yeah. Wow. I, I so admire and I'm so in love with how your level of, and I already knew how you grew up so fast and you were had such a maturity and wisdom at such a young age. And this story totally encapsulates that so beautifully. I, I have never connected the two. And you're exactly right that honesty leads to confidence. I love that. Mm -hmm. With yourself, mm -hmm. honesty with yourself, honesty with others. That's so it, – it's, it's a, a – it's a signifier or not, it's not the word I want to use, but it, it points to how clear someone is on their work they're here to do and their intentionality when they can speak honestly and about their boundaries, about their goals. You're exactly right. I love that. Yeah. Wow. Yep. The one thing that I could not do my work without is? Books. Books. I, I they feed me. Mm -hmm. Like I have always sustained myself on books from the time I was a kid mm. and I devour them. I love them. And I feel like from, from concept to vocabulary, hopefully grammar, um, <laughs> but, but really in letting myself go into so many places that I would not have seen or felt if I hadn't read, I, I don't know how, I mean, I'd be sad to live without TV because I like to be entertained, but I would really be devastated without books. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, they are food for my soul. For sure. And I'm so thankful the world is going to be able to enjoy your book this coming summer. Thank you. I am so, I'm so excited because I feel like when you, because books are so magical to me, the idea of writing one is surreal. So surreal. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when you said when you read Running With Scissors, it, mm -hmm. it, it, it didn't only engage you, but it inspired you to write your own because the feel of the book that wanted to come out of you was similar to Running With Scissors. Is that right? Yeah, it it was. I mean, there was there were a lot of interesting similarities in the group uh, in the in the books in the thoughts and um, Augustine Burroughs talks about the time he spent living in Northampton and um, I lived really close to there. But growing up, my dad had a store there. It's a super funky town that I have a lot of memories in. Um, but the 
honesty and rawness that he tells the stories with for me was no one had ever done that before. Um, and certainly nobody that didn't live in a rubber room. And so the idea that you could do that and not, and sort and he sort of detached from it. Like you could see as he was weaving these stories, how they were very much part of them. They him and they shaped who he was. And at the same time, there's a distance to it now that he's reflecting upon and, and it didn't break him. It was, I mean, there were all sorts of so much craziness and addiction and mental illness and just insanity. And, you know, in reading it, there was so much that I related to. I probably laughed more than I should. And I was like, I want to be his friend because I totally get that. Um, and so I think in a lot of ways, the idea of not living in the shadows of that is was huge for me. I mean, it was like, he did it. He did it. He said these things. And then he went on to write, you know, whatever, 10 other books. Um, but he did it. And that was... And it was heartwarming and heartbreaking at the same time as you read it. And I, yeah, I mean, there there is definitely some magic in in running with scissors for me. Um, obviously, a lot of empathy and a lot of love for Augustine, but also like a huge thank you for putting it out there and not trying to put lipstick on a pig. Mm. Like, I love that. Me too. Lipstick on a pig never serves anyone. No. Nope. <laughs> yes. Speaking on speaking on speaking of lipstick on a pig, the last time I bit my tongue in a conversation, it was because it was over the topic of Ooh. Um Do you bite your tongue in a conversation? Ooh. Uh there are times that I will bite my tongue in a conversation. Um, I'm more apt to walk away, um, but but I will. Um, uh, religion. Religion. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Speaking of religion, one mystical experience that I had was in blank. And this can be like in fifth grade or in Sedona. Answer that however it comes up for you. Um, yeah. I mean, Sedona for sure is some sort of energy vortex magic place for me. Um, I recently went to Miraval out in Tucson and I had an amazing experience with a hands-on um, Mexican healer named Mama Amelia, who I, love that I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what kind of what, what kind of magic she possesses, but um, there was just such a calm and a comfort through her. And I would say, I in general, you know, she burned she burned candles like they do in the Catholic Church, and she had incense burning, and um, and she blessed me with holy water, and and I've got like a whole lot of trauma and stuff around church. And so when I walked in the room at first, I thought, oh, I don't know that I could do this. And, um, and after I spent a couple of hours with her, there was 
it was really clear. It was almost like this channel opened up and you could, I could feel what she was saying. And she said, no, this is not me. This is just spirit moving through me. And I thought to myself, this is the first time that I have been with somebody else who's Catholic, who is, I think, I believe practices. um, And I don't want to run out of the room. And in fact, her presence was just, it was amazing. So I feel like it was, it was mystical for something that I walked away from a really long time ago that I never thought I could find comfort in again. But she showed me that in a safe space, it's definitely possible. Mm. And what was one thing that she did differently than other religious leaders in your past? She looked me in the eye. She, she looked at me like there was a very real sense of being seen and, and she didn't know me from Adam, you know, like I walked in, in, in a bathrobe from, from the spa waiting room. Um, and I had no idea. I mean, I thought it was going to be another, and I don't want to say fluffy, but sort of like, I didn't really know what to expect. And, um, and within minutes, I mean, she sort of piercingly looked at me and started talking and I was like, oh, okay. And, and I think she wasn't trying to impose anything. She wasn't talking at me. She was right there with me. And I think if you are in that place, then I don't care. I mean, honestly, I I feel like if you're in that communion with another person and with yourself, then it's so much easier to be in communion with God, regardless of the setting. Yeah. Am I hearing you right that she showed up with a frequency of service to you and also a frequency of surrendering to spirit that was working through her? Uh, Yes. Yep. So powerful. And then just create being, she was being a part, a co-creator of this sacred container you were both in. Absolutely. Yep. She, she was, she was the pace car by far. Like, and you know, she didn't, she wasn't standing there with answers. She wasn't standing there saying, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to heal you. She stood there and said, I am, I'm going to put my hands on you and I am going to let the love flow into all the places that you need it. And I thought, huh, it's really interesting to me because never before had I related the church with love. Oh, wow. So she changed that narrative and, and that was pretty powerful for me. So powerful. And she, she changed it in less than a day. That's amazing how those things within us can shift so quickly. Yep. I mean, it, it was, she got right in there and I was like, oh, okay. And, and I will say, I mean, whatever she has opened herself up to, she is able, I, I believe she is able to receive spirit and just let it and let herself be a conduit to where it needs to go because I felt it a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a gift that you, I, I sense that in your presence that you are like Mama Amelia in many ways and your ability to hold space for people's pain and to just show up with such power with people that, but it's not, 
it's not scary. It feels safe um, and powerful. And I am, I'm curious, is there anything that you do or any way that you serve now that 10 years ago you wouldn't believe that you're serving or believing in this kind of way? Uh, yeah, for sure. Well, first, thank you. Um, that It's humbling to hear that. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely tune in with myself more now. I think um, I listen to myself. So my intuition is not anything new, but I think listening to it, really listening to it, um, and, and having boundaries with myself has been able to let me serve so much more. Um, and it's, it's definitely like work in progress. Um, but I think I'm able to show up in a way now that I wasn't before because there is, I'm willing to be seen and it's okay to be wrong and, and just the, and, and it sounds probably really, I don't know, lofty or something, but I feel like even though I'm 42 years old, that the experience of letting myself be human is toddler stage, maybe. Um, but, you know, when you look at, when you look at babies and you look at toddlers, they don't have the shit that we carry around, right? They're, they laugh when they're happy and they cry when they're sad and they tell you what they need. And somewhere along the way, we tell ourselves or respond to all of the things that we're not supposed to do that, that bother other people or bring up other people's stuff. And so um, there, I think there's really amazing lessons in that. Like there is something to be said for listening to how you feel, what you want, who you are, and and just being with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think before I probably, you know, 10 years ago, I I think I was just as good of a, a friend or a listener. Um, but I think I showed up as I thought people wanted me to show up. I didn't necessarily show up as myself. Mm-hmm. And that change has been over the past decade? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been an, an evolution, but certainly in the past decade, I think a lot of it has come into focus. I think, um, you know, I have been reading self-help books and taking interesting trips and, and journeys and, and things for a long time now and 25 years or so. Um, and I would always say that like it moved the needle a little bit, but I still, at the end of the day, I was still coming home to me. Mm-hmm. And so that was, I think always a little challenging and a little frustrating because I felt like, okay, well, I, I did it. I did the work. I read the, I read the book. I, I did mirror work. I went to the therapist. I, I did these things. And I don't understand why I don't fundamentally feel different. Um, And so I think in the last 10 years, um, you know, there have been so many kind of major life changes that have happened that, I I don't know, I feel like it's so cliche to say, oh, like you hit bottom or, or you had this moment, but I think the, the cumulative effect of them 
has sort of let me clean off the lenses. Like I think sometimes I've changed the lenses, but I, I think, um, I mean, I've had the divorce was certainly a big one. It was really um, sort of shattering and freeing at the same time. And that was something that I didn't know what to do with and brought up all sorts of interesting emotions that I had never made friends with. Um, I think getting, meeting my husband and getting remarried and redefining what a healthy relationship looks like and what it's like to be wanted and, and to need somebody else and want somebody else and, um, and be loved is really, that's a, that was quite the lesson. Um, and I had a pretty serious medical crisis that happened about 18 months ago. Um, and it, where I, I had a brain aneurysm, I had a few strokes after my brain aneurysm. It was super terrifying. Um, and it put me face to face with, I, I don't know if I'm getting out of this alive. And if I do, I, I might be a vegetable. And what if I can't, what if I can't show up the way that I want to show up? And, and the kind of terrifying thing with the aneurysm as I wait, I had to wait after they found it, I had to wait uh, 18 days to have my surgery because I had to prep for it. And, um, you know, I have read lots of consent forms. I've actually written lots of consent forms in my life for work. And you read all of these risks. And I remember having like this very sobering moment of thinking, okay, I need to write a will and I need to write a healthcare directive and I need to write what's going to happen to my kids. And all of those things, which were incredibly just gutting and horrible to do. And the thought of this life without me here and what that meant for them and how sad I was to think about maybe missing that, but also thinking what a shame because for all the work, and all the classes and all of those things, I'm still all locked inside myself and I don't know how to get out. And it was, it was really terrifying. Like it was, a, I remember very clearly thinking afterwards, how do you save yourself from yourself? Like my life just got saved and you know, I went in, they had brain, I had brain surgery. They fixed, they fixed it. I'm stable. It's all good. Um, and I remember there was for sure gratefulness, like, okay, I'm physically here, but now the, the impetus to do something different and to figure it out, I think became much stronger, um, like much stronger where I was like, okay, you know, one, it, it was very clearly a second chance. And I feel like I've probably been given chances all along, but you know, I, I, have always said my mantra is I want to leave the world better than it was when I got here. And I feel like, sure, I've done that sort of peripherally, hopefully through my kids and through my work and, and my relationships, but they have all been a somewhat, or had been, I guess, a somewhat filtered version um, because similar to Augustine Burroughs, there were all of these stories and tragedies and dramas and comedies um, that were an amalgamation of me. And I think I made them 
they, my past was me. And so being able to give them voice, and I think that's so much of what the book is doing, but to give them voice, (laughs) I don't know how to say it, right? Gave them power in some way because it became real and it came to life and they weren't just, they weren't just these stories that were buried deep inside me. They, they were sort of how I got molded into who I am. And at the same time, it took the power away because they weren't hidden anymore. And so the, the freedom that has come from sharing them and, um, and sharing them for the sake of sharing them, as opposed to sharing them at, for the sake of justifying who I am, are, it's a very different context. It's, it's a very different context. So, yeah, I mean, I think um, there has been very conscious work and some of it's been really dense. I mean, for sure, our, um, our experience at Uprising was by far one of the most profound um, experiences I've ever had. I mean, that needle moved, it moved like 180 degrees. Um, yeah, I want to so, ask you, how would amazing. you, so amazing, how would you articulate the, the needle moving at the uprising event? Like, how do you move differently now? Yeah. So, um, I think one, I'm so much, so I love my head. I love being in my head. It's, it's my yes. safe place. It's, it's right. It's, it's where I escape to. Um, and so, you know, when you think about fleeing, I don't need to walk out the door. I, I can go a hundred miles away and stand right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. totally. so, yeah. And, and so I think stopping the awareness that I have now and stopping myself from doing that and being in the moment and being, being in the shit and letting myself cry and feel and grieve and get angry um, and sort of dance with these emotions that were not something that I was comfortable doing before um, has been amazing. And, And I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm sort of stepping back and looking at myself as I'm either having conversations with my husband or I am listening to what's going on with my kids and and I will have a moment where I'm like, oh, I would have said this. And I'm super clear on what I would have said. And it doesn't, it doesn't carry a charge anymore. Like I don't, I don't feel the need to maybe say those things. There is such power in the experience and in being with it that I'm like, oh, I, I can be uncomfortable and it's gonna be okay, or I can get angry and it's gonna be okay. And I think. So I've stopped, I think I've stopped fleeing quite a bit. Um, and I think that I have, I'm certainly crying a whole lot more, which, oh, um, I mean, I think I cried more in those four days at Uprising than I have in years, like years. And so, um, but so those really- tears... Yeah. I mean, I'm, and I'm glad, I mean, it was, it was very cleansing and it, it sort of like, I sort of feel like I have a different view even on, on crying or experiencing anger or, or, or that now and where I'm like, oh, well, 
Well, that's okay because it's just sort of like a rototiller, right? Like it's just sort of bringing up the old stuff and and letting the new stuff grow. And so it's okay. It's not, it's, it's nothing to be judged. It's not the end of the world. It's, it's not those things. And, um, and, and there's beauty in it, in the, in the humanness of it. And I think how, I don't know how many people are walking around not having a human experience, but my guess is a lot. Yeah, I, I think I think it's probably more than we all think. And, you know, I mean, you hear that saying like, oh, you never know, you know, whatever, whatever battle somebody else is going through. And I think a lot of us, it's easy to minimize that. And you're like, yeah, well, they're not going through anything because they just pulled up in their BMW or they're just, um, you know, they, they, they appear to have, they appear to have it all together or whatever. And, and I think through, I mean, certainly at uprising where, you know, here we are in a room, nine very successful, loving, kind, engage, otherwise engaged people. And you listen to their experiences and in all of them, you see your experiences and you're like, oh, so there that's happening to them too. And, and I feel like, I mean, again, I'm super idealistic, but if the, if the camaraderie and the empathy and the love that we had at Uprising was able to sort of fold itself out into families and communities, whatever. I mean, that that's like crazier than the cure for cancer as far as I'm concerned, because it's like we're all walking around with love cancer <laughs> and there's actually a way to fix it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like your book is going to be a continuation of the work that is similar to the uprising event, that it's helping move and unblock pain for people that have been holding them back and helping them to love and forgive themselves and love and forgive others and helping them get their limiting beliefs and bullshit stories in check. I am I'm so excited for this upcoming book and I'm curious where can people go to find out more about it and stay connected with you and the work that you're doing. Yeah, so I do. I have uh, my website, lizhurlbert.com, and uh, working very diligently on the book and with the hopes of um, releasing it in the summer of next year. So for sure, um, you know, connect connect with me on Facebook, check the website out. I will be sure to post updates when things are moving forward. Um, I, I'm, I'm so excited to share it and, you know, to hear that it could when you say, I hope it's a, you know, that it could be a continuation of the work at Uprising. I feel like that's the biggest compliment I could get because if it has a sliver of the effect on people that Uprising had on me, then, then I feel like I, I've done, I've done part of my service. I've done part of my work because everybody should be able to have that level of forgiveness and freedom and clarity um, that's out there. And, and, and I hope it lets other people dig out their shit too, and just know like, it's okay. Like it's really 
all okay and it doesn't it doesn't define you that's so powerful and this whole time we've been talking i've been holding my amethyst ball that you gave me and i i love it so much i journal with it i hold it during coaching sessions and i just i i feel it's a power of spiritual healing for me and it's I, I am so appreciative that I get to be on the journey with you and that you're serving in the beautiful way that you serve. Thank you. I mean, I feel like, I don't know, we sort of had this serendipitous connection. I mean, I thought, oh my God, I signed up to write a book with a complete freaking stranger. And <laughs> it's one of the best decisions I ever made. Like I remember just seeing one of your posts in like the Project Shift alumni Facebook page and you were talking about SNL and I have my thing. As, for, like, as always. School. Yeah. And, and I totally have like this thing with old school SNL, like Will Ferrell and Sherry O'Terry and Anna Gasteyer years. And I was like, oh, I like her. <laughs> and, yes. um, and then I watched a couple of your lives and I thought I have had so many things, so many stories inside that need to come out and I would never have known where to start. And I was like, well, okay, probably the biggest risk I've ever taken, but okay. And and it and thank you because I feel like you have just sort of ushered the process along so beautifully. And, you know, even and it was scary in the beginning. I mean, starting to write some of that stuff down. And then you were like, oh, you need to share it in a folder. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> you get to read it. You get to read it when it's done. And I was like, oh no, that's not the way this works. And so it's it's interesting because I feel like the process of writing the book has become sort of mirrored to the process of how I am trying to live in a very unedited, very real way of like, I'm just putting it out there. And there is, yeah, there's risk with it, but there is also great freedom with it. And so I think it's been really interesting how that has paralleled in the last few months. I always feel those moments in life where parallel happens, those are moments of affirmation from from the mm -hmm. universe, from God. Mm -hmm. Do you feel yep. that way? Well, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and sometimes I don't realize it in the moment, but I remember sort of stepping back and thinking that – so much of what, so what I'm, what I'm sharing in the book and, and by proxy sharing with you is really a mirror of a much larger commitment to myself of sharing the stories and sharing the hurt and sharing the want that I didn't before. And so, you know, it's like microcosm to macrocosm, which has been very interesting. And I feel like one feeds the other, like the the commitment to writing the book and getting the stories out, the, the commitment I have to the book and, and with you has sort of been the pace car for me being able to continue doing it just in life. Wow. That is so beautifully described. Yeah. The pace car. Yes. And I, I love how well, you we need that. We need pace. We need yeah. pace oh, totally. cars. Yeah. I, I think I think we really do. I think we need, if it's not another person, 
it's something, a commitment of some sort to keep making that commitment over and over to ourselves. I think you need that because I think so many people have such good intentions of like, I'm going to change this or I'm going to fix that or I'm going to do this. And you try. And then as soon as it doesn't work, you revert right back. And it would be, I mean, I would imagine, you know, had I shared a story with you and you were like, oh, wow, that was not what I was expecting. That very easily could have retreated right back into my turtle shell and been like, yep, done with the book. And But I think in being able to create that space for each other is so important because that's why people don't tell their stories. That's why people don't tell you all the parts of them that they don't love. That's that's why, because we slam the freaking book down on each other. And so if there is a way to keep that open and hold that space, I feel like there is such there's such universal healing in that. Yeah. So much. And that's exactly what you're going to do for your readers when this book is in our hands finished this summer. Yay. Yay. I'm I'm doing, I'm doing the little like Meg. Are you raising the roof? Yeah. I'm raising the roof. There you go. See, I'm not, I'm not nearly as cool to know. I didn't even know that that's what it's called. (laughs) Yes. Raising the roof. (laughs) I love I, I love raising the roof because I can do it without interrupting the person's t- conversation. <laughs> I know. I don't think I've ever had a call with you where you don't do it. And now I find myself doing it. And I, you know, I'm just waiting for the day that I do it. And my college age daughter looks at me and is like, what are you doing? What are you like, raising? What is, the roof? what is that? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm so glad we're not on video right now. Because yes. I feel like. It would be it would be pretty silly. <laughs> Which is why we call the show an uproarious profundity. It, <laughs> it is ridiculous and deep at the same time. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It was so great hanging out with you in your earbuds today, friend. If you found yourself during this episode considering yourself to be a spiritually attuned go-getter, I have a great opportunity for you, and that is my little Amazon best-selling satirical spiritual self-help book, I Am My Own Sanctuary, How a Recovering Holy Roller Found Healing and Power. Imagine with me, if you will, if Seth Myers, the comedian and a nun, were to conceive a book baby, it would in fact be this one. I Am My Own Sanctuary, as NPR's Dr. David Dalt calls it, it's a full steam comedic rant. That's right, it was written for other recovering people pleasers, if you will, and encourages you to own the power of the divine within in order to take back the power over your life from others and move with more confidence, even if sometimes you feel like a fake, while still making time for your kids, your spouse, and your social life, and without disappointing those that you respect. You know you want more confidence in your life, don't you? So head on over to Amazon today, get it on paperback, Kindle, or over on Audible. I am my own sanctuary, how a recovering holy roller found healing and power. Can't wait to continue the conversation with you. So be sure to follow me on Facebook at Meg Calvin and over on the Instagram by what my mom calls me, Meggie Lee. 
underscore Calvin. Can't wait till next Thursday, friend.